The first thing most experts will tell you about partisan gerrymandering is it's an equal opportunity dirty trick, truly a both sides do it thing. But last week, it was a set of maps drawn by Republicans that finally brought the hammer down. The hammer in this case being a three-judge panel in federal district court who ruled those maps from the 2011 redistricting following the 2010 census constituted a political gerrymander of historic proportions. Their words, not mine. Today, we'll look at that decision and the related complications. This is Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. I'm Nancy Derringer, Communications Director for the Research Council, and in this podcast, we look at Michigan through a policy lens. Our discussions here are informed by our 103 years of experience doing nonpartisan, fact-based research on policy issues. We hope this podcast will serve as another way for the public to access our work, which is, as always, free and available to all at our website, crcmich.org. Today, my guest is Eric Lufer, president of the council. That's kind of what they're hoping for, aren't they? I mean, didn't they fast track this to, I mean, that's, it, it went, it's, I mean, it's, they've already asked the Supreme Court to look at this, and I think they're trying to gamble on a favorable outcome. That'd be my guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. If we don't want to say so. And remind me to tell you about how the event went last Thursday, the WDET event, because um, I talked to Joe and Isabel a little bit about their events and how they go. So anyway. Okay. So uh, let's talk here. Um, three, two, one. Joining me now is Eric Lufer, president of the Research Council and someone who knows probably as much about this issue as anyone. Eric, can you brief us on the federal court decision that was handed down last week? It's pretty momentous, isn't it? Yes, it, it is big. We see this going on in a number of states, and, and the case in point here was the League of Women Voters of Michigan in combination with some disgruntled Democratic voters uh, throughout the state, um, challenged the districts for our congressional, these are the people who represent us in Washington, in the state house and state senate districts, uh, saying that they were unfairly gerrymandered and that affects their first and 14th amendment rights under the U.S. Constitution. And uh, it's decided at the um, U.S. level, it, it was appealed under U.S. law, not Michigan law. And um, in the court, a panel of judges came back and said, yes, there is evidence that the state was gerrymandered and, and done in such a politically motivated way as to disenfranchise uh, some people of the state. And, and they came back and identified 34 districts in total, some of them congressional, some of them state senate, some of them state house, uh, that need to be redrawn to uh, create more fairness in the election process. That's quite a ruling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. I, I don't want to, you know, overblow it because we saw the same thing in Wisconsin 
uh, a little more than a year ago. That led to a, a U.S. Supreme Court um, challenge. We see this going on in Pennsylvania. We see this going on in Maryland and North Carolina and a number of other states. So it is very big, and for a long, long time, I mean, the, sort of the history of our nation, we knew that politics was involved. We have the term called gerrymandering, that uh, the voters are choosing, the uh, politicians are choosing their voters instead of the voters choosing their politicians. So we've known it's going on. It's only recently that the people have sort of taken it back and saying, we have the means now to prove what's going on and and we don't like it and we want this to change. Okay. So it, it is big and, it, and it's going to have monumental implications if the U.S. Supreme Court rules on some of these cases working their way up and, and there's some things before the court right now. Okay. Okay. So uh, we looked at this issue last year. Uh, one of our researchers um, applied the can uh, these sort of emerging data tests where you can look at where you can really it's not just looking at an oddly shaped district it's actually diving into the demographic um, information about each one to, to, to sort of indicate whether um, whether we're talking about or whether it's it's just an oddly shaped district or one that's been uh, subject to partisan gerrymandering. And we found credible statistical evidence of that in some Michigan districts last year. Can you just kind of, without going too deep into the weeds, sort of walk us through how those measurements um, work? Yeah, so these are, are basic statistical measures that statisticians have been using for years. Um, but they have only recently been been used to look at the results of elections and determine did this happen by chance or or was there something uh, more nefarious going on that you ended up with these sorts of results. Uh, there's efficiency gap that looks at um, on a statewide basis whether the results um, could have happened this way or or was there different things going on. We also looked at what's called the T-test and the median mean. And and for each one, you're sort of picking a number. There's there's no absolute way to know if you're above this level, you're, you've done something wrong or below this level, then it's just by happenstance. So you're just sort of picking a number uh, when looking at these statistical tests. Uh, but nonetheless, Michigan blew right past the numbers that were being so being used in, in some of the cases that are being applied in other places. And it, it's not that we were at the margin and just inched over it. We blew past the the measures, uh, the the sort of earmark that said if you're past this, then then you're gerrymandered. And right. it's pretty clear. And then. Part of the uh, fact-finding for the case, this League of Women Voters case, they were able to go back and look at the record for emails that had been exchanged between Republican legislators at the time and the consultants, and they pretty much had the smoking gun (laughs) that this was done um, with malice in mind to to tilt the 
playing field to favor the Republican Party. Right, in this case. And as we've pointed out many times, this has happened um, on the other side of the aisle, you know, when, when they had oh, the power sure. to I'm, do that. So, I mean, this is, not, this is not something that the Republicans came up with on their own. The Maryland case that's before the U.S. Supreme Court, it is the Republicans challenging the Democratic gerrymander. So. Yes, exactly. And and as you point out, there was quite a bit of other evidence besides the statistical uh, measurements. There were the emails and, and so that all taken in toto, it was, um, it was pretty obvious. So here in Michigan, um, there are quite a few complicating factors in this issue, uh, but probably the biggest was the passage of Proposal 2 last fall. Um, and that was, of course, the citizen-initiated constitutional amendment that takes districting, redistricting out of the legislature's hands and delegates it to a citizen's commission. Um, Have we figured out how these converging events are going to mesh over the next couple of years as we go forward in this process? Yes. So the, the implication of the decision that was handed down on Thursday is that there will be change, assuming the appeal doesn't uh, put the brakes on this, but there will be change for the next election in 2020. And after that, our new constitutional provisions will kick in. So the implications of this are for one election cycle. Now, because of term limits in Michigan, it is going to mess things up in the Michigan Senate in a big way because the court ordered special elections for those uh, Senate districts in question to have those senators come back and stand for re-election again after two years instead of the normal four years that senators serve. So the way the Michigan Constitution is written, you have a certain number of years that you may serve in either chamber, you know, six years in the House, eight years in the Senate, the fact that you were cut short before you could fulfill those complete eight years doesn't allow you to come back and serve, uh, you know, if you were to miss out this term or you're a newly elected senator in 2020 and and serving a two-year term, that doesn't entitle you to 10 years. It's still an eight-year term. So um, there are some people who are going to feel that they have... um, not been able to have their freedom of speech as expressed as a as a representative of the people because of this. But it's not clear what to do about it. It's, right. It's sort of these are the circumstances we have. Now we have to deal with it. Now we're going to fight over it for the next couple of years, <laughs> quite a bit. And so on. So the court named particular districts that must be with redrawn. Uh, but given that every border adjustment affects another district... Are we looking at a full makeover of all 38 state Senate districts? And what about the congressional and House districts? Yeah, so let's take these one at a time. Okay. Uh, start with the congressional districts. We have 14 uh, House districts, and the court case only affected a, half of them, I think. Um, but if you think of the state in, in the districts as a jigsaw puzzle, anytime you affect the, the size of one of piece of the puzzle, that means the other pieces around it have to be changed, either moved in or moved out, moved up, moved down, either way. So um, 
probably for the congressional districts to comply with the court decision, every border is going to be affected in one way or another. Right. There, there might be some that are pretty close to the same, but um, we're looking at a, a pretty much redo of the congressional map. For the state Senate districts, most of those districts that are affected are in southeast Michigan. So you could pretty much guess that the upper peninsula, the top of the mitten for the lower peninsula, those districts probably will not be changed. But certainly anything south of Bay City and uh, east of Lansing, those districts could be vulnerable to being changed because of the the trickle down the the you know movement of of districts that um, that are affected, and then for the state house districts, it is mostly in southeast Michigan, but sort of working its way across the state, um, the Jackson and Grand Rapids, and over as far as Muskegon, I think, but mostly in the southern part of the state. So again, the Upper Peninsula, the top of the Lower Peninsula, probably will be p- pretty safe. But everything south of the Bay City line, if you're a, a current House member um, or, or thinking about running, you might be looking at different constituents that you have to appeal for for your election. Okay. Um, now, the court put this on a very fast-track timeline to happen. I believe they said it would be required by August of this year, which seems like a insanely optimistic deadline for that. Um, it's unlikely to be that tight uh, because of the appeals process that we're looking at here. Uh, what do you think is the next step for this case? The responsibility to draw the lines, the new lines, is the court asked the legislature to take this on. Now, if they don't take it on, they, they can't slow walk it and just have nothing happen. The court said if they don't do anything, then the court will assign a special master and, and we'll get it done. So that's sort of the essence of the timeline. You're going to let the legislature do their thing, um, but there has to be time for that special master to do his thing or her thing Um should the legislature choose not to act or come back with maps that just aren't acceptable. Uh, So the next step is presumably the legislature will start to dig into this. At the same time, they're trying to fix our road funding, deal with no fault insurance, pass a budget, pass a budget, do so many other things that are important to us uh, as residents of Michigan. So how they take that on is going to be an issue. While all that is going on, we have a, a two cases, really, at the U.S. Supreme Court that the court has already heard arguments, and, and now the nine justices are wrangling among themselves how that should come out. Um, they had a similar case a year ago, and they punted. Are they going to actually say anything meaningful this time, or are they going to punt again? We don't know. The Republican legislature, looking at their responsibility and the need to do something, has to act. Do we want to slow walk this and hope that they get a decision out of the U.S. Supreme Court? And in doing so, if they were to slow walk it, they stand a chance that the U.S. Supreme Court punts again, and now they've lost their ability to control the districts, and a special master will take that on. Oh, 
So it gets complicated. There's going to be a bit of gamesmanship in how this happens. And of course, whatever they come up with, they have to please not only the courts that ask them to redo this, but they have to get a signature of our Democratic governor. So they can't make it just favor themselves again. They have to come up with something that is going to appear much more fair and balanced. Okay. But how fair and balanced and... And what does that mean? And again, this is only for the 2020 election because once we get the census results that happen in April of 2020 and and then the months after, then we convene the commission that was created under Proposal 2 of last year and they come up with the district lines for 2022 and for the next 10 years after that. This is really going to be an an interesting next couple of years on this this front, don't you think? May you live in interesting times, (laughs) yes. It's uh, It's a Chinese curse, they always tell you. So that's that's, that's the way it goes. Okay, well, thank you so much for this. Um, I think this is going to be, uh, like I said, it's going to be a fascinating uh, process to watch. It may be a little agonizing as well. Um, but like you said, you know, this is, this is, <laughs> this is the world we have made and now we have to remake it. Yeah. I mean, the end goal with all this, why we're so interested is it's all about trust in government, right? Do you feel like your voice means anything in choosing your politicians? So over the next couple of years, it will be interesting. And I think there will be some people turned off by it. Like, why are they doing all this? This is all a waste of money. It's only for one election. But in the long term, if we can have this happen and then we have commission come in, does that start to create the greater trust in government that your voice is starting to mean something? So let's think about it long term and what it all means and not get too bogged down in the details on a day-to-day basis. Right. Because the end result, is all, as always, is good government. And, you know, that's what we're, we're supposed to be striving for here. Yes, so. that's what we're aiming for. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, Eric. And that will do it for this edition of Facts Matter, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan podcast. Remember, the council operates as a public resource, and all of our papers, along with blogs, op-eds, and other resources, are available for download on our website, crcmich.org. We operate as a nonprofit through the generosity of Michigan's corporations, foundations, and individuals like you. If you'd like to make a donation, go to our website, crcmich.org, and click on the contribution button on the homepage. We also welcome feedback, which you can send via email to crcmich at crcmich.org. I'm Nancy Derringer, and until next time, I leave you with this observation by our founding president, Lent Upson. The right to criticize government is also an obligation to know what you're talking about.